Hello there. Welcome back to the Oblivious Maximus podcast. After many weeks off, I sincerely apologize for my absence. I have been moving house, finding myself in a new room to talk to you in, in lovely Northcote. I'm truly, truly living out my dream of being as close to being in Blood Duster as humanly possible. Um, now the Oblivious Maximus studio is straight out of Northcote. I have my first guest in my new room to talk in, Kane Hibbard. Kane was a guest on a live podcast we did last year. Um, he was the only guest on that live podcast that hadn't been on the podcast before, so I thought it was a good chance to get him uh, to come around and have a chat and go a little bit more in depth with some of you know, his relationship with music and how he got into it and how he got into being a photographer and how that's sort of taken off for him now as a career. Um, so yeah, it was fun to talk to Kane. It's great to be doing this again. I hope to now be back putting them up every week. Um, thanks. No thanks to Telstra for fucking me around for ages. But we're here now and we're online. So thank you for waiting and being patient and still being interested in the podcast in my absence from the internet. But we're back. Got some exciting stuff coming up. We'll be announcing those things soon. Please keep listening to the podcast. Listen to the old ones. There's a lot of great old episodes. Um, <clears throat> the most recent ones with Colin Young and Will from the Smith Street Band were awesome as well. So go and check those out. So please enjoy this episode 42 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Kane Hibbard. Fucking brutal. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast. Hello. Thank you for coming to my new home. It's Being awesome. my first guest in the new Oblivious Maximus <laughs> studio. It's, um, well, if you could only see what I'm looking at. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Plain white walls with nothing on them, really. Yeah. No, it's minimalist. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Um, okay, so obviously you have been a guest of this podcast in a different manner in the past. Um so now I'll ask you what I didn't get to ask you previously is how did you get into music? Um, well, how did I get into music? I, do you want to, where do I start? Um, from the beginning. From the beginning. Well, give it to me. When I was one. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I've, I think I got into music from my sister mm-hmm. who's, I think three years older than me and was into all this, um, like I come from the country, so she was into all these TV hits, you know, Kylie Minogue, pop, you know, Duran Duran, pop yeah. stuff. And cause I'd never really, my parents weren't musical. There was, my dad had two tapes that he used to play and repeat. One was Dr. Hook mm-hmm. and the other was Susie Quattro. Yep. And then, so that's really the most musical our family got other than the radio and stuff. So yeah. when my sister started getting into music, I was just exposed to it because she would buy the magazines and I started sort of noticing some of this and we would have fights about who would get the poster from the TV hits, <laughs> stuff like that. So, and then I can remember the first time I actually wanted to get my own music and you used to be able to have the back of magazines, they'd have the mail order CDs and yeah. cassettes and stuff like that. 
And for some reason, I decided I just... I used to get a really good deal first time around. Mm. And they'd suck you in yeah. for 12 months and you had to buy like, yeah. <laughs> got to buy tons of CDs. Exactly, exactly. So I got it and it was it was tapes actually. And I decided that I wanted to get the full box set of ACDC. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to buy a tape. It's like, no, in my true, true fashion with everything I do, it's like, I want to buy the, the double box set thing. I think it was like mm. 12 cassettes. Yeah. And... And I can remember getting those and then lying on my bed listening to them and going, wow, I want to play guitar like this guy. I'd never yeah. even thought about playing musical instrument, but lying on my bed listening to, uh, I think it was like 80s um, ACDC and I was like, oh, I want to play guitar. Yeah, right. And I can then remember <laughs> telling my parents and we were on a, on a, on a um, every year we'd have to go away for Christmas and we're on that Christmas drive mm. and I piped up and said... I want to play guitar. And my dad's like, what do you want to play guitar for? No one plays musical instruments in our family. And so that <laughs> that's got a sh- reason you can't do it. Exactly. Exactly. No one else does it. So why, sh- why do you need to do it? <laughs> and I managed to get my way. And then it sort of became the all consuming thing. I started playing guitar and then, you know, you get to that age, like 14, 15 and all your mates, you know, everything revolves around music. And yeah. it was the music started getting heavier. I did, one of my friends had this like, he, I, he actually looked like Cliff Burton. Like he had yeah. long hair, wore the denims de- double and denims yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And he introduced us to this sort of thrash metal sort of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, where's this been yeah. all my life? So whereabouts did you grow up? Mainly in Seymour. Okay. Which is like an hour and a half out of Melbourne. Yeah, sure. I moved around a lot when we were young. My dad worked on the railway, so Mm -hmm. we used to... We're only in places for maybe six months. Yeah. And so up until I was in grade two, I think, you know, we were moving, you know, every six or 12 months. So Mm -hmm. once we got to Seymour, that all sort of stopped and that's sort of where I grew up. Um, But that was like pre-internet. So Seymour might as well have been... The moon. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like you had no idea what music was going on. Yeah. you know, the, uh, the only music I was exposed to was stuff through my sister or stuff that we'd hear on the radio or the TV. Yeah. And then once I started getting into music, it was magazines. So Yeah, right. And you'd still be looking at all these magazines, looking at the mail order things, going, I don't know what any of these bands are. And I never had any music, so I couldn't... Never had any money, so I couldn't send away for this stuff. So then it was just my friends exposing me to things. I can remember one of my friends playing me killing in the name for the first time he's mm. like just wait for it just wait for it and it gets to that bit it's like oh my god like swearing in a song yeah yeah like those blatant swearing so i've never heard music like yeah. this yeah i remember like i think it's like a common thread at least for people that i've spoken to on this like near almost everyone who i've spoken to on this has come from somewhere else and ended up in melbourne or in sydney or in a bigger city obviously by way of you know you know, most likely music has sort of led them down that path. Yeah. But it's, I think there's something really to be said for people that come from smaller places that find this stuff, because I think that's kind of where the, I don't know, general like obsession, I think that a lot of us have with this stuff comes from is like, because of a lack of opportunity to see it or a lack of exposure that when you first get that grasp on it, like, at least for me, it was like, 
this is my thing now and I'm going to like you know know everything about this band I'm going to know everything about this I'm going to like hold on to it as tightly as I can well I think when you do come from those smaller places too there's a you know the subcultures of the town yeah are very limited so you're Mm. either in my town if you didn't play footy yeah you weren't in the you know their Their (laughs) subculture yeah the community was based around footy really or the sport so you know they're the the few bands and people in the music you know Mm. they sort of came together and there was you know that sort of included it was anyone who didn't like sport pretty much who came under that so the skaters and yeah you know the artists and things like that sort of all come under it Mm. so what what was the environment then like you know going through high school and stuff in seymour and being someone interested in music like how did that pan out i hated high school yeah fucking really hated it just Mm. Because uh, all my friends started either falling behind, like mm. would either be in different grades or they left or there was, I just had no idea what I wanted to do. So school for me was just this time until I didn't have to go to school anymore. So yeah. it was like finish year 12. I never really thought I would drop out like that wasn't something um, I wanted to do, but I knew I would finish year 12 and then I would just get a job to earn money so I could buy music, buy yeah. guitar stuff and and CDs and go to band, you know, see bands and all that sort of stuff. There was never really any more thought beyond that going, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? It was just, you know, it was like, well, once this is done, I'm out. Yeah, so, right. Because, yeah, I never had a lot of friends in the end just because they left and or they moved on to, you know, different things and it was, yeah, it was like everyone was just disappearing yeah right and so did it like what was like your first sort of experience with live music and stuff like that then when did that occur for you wasn't until i think the one of the first concerts i went to was because i had one of my friends who before he moved like he left in year 11 but before that his brother was older and lived in Melbourne and he was a drummer and he, I think we went to Offspring, starting to show my age, but (laughs) we went to see, it was Offspring at the Palace for the the first tour Mm -hmm. and they were letting, even though we were underage, they never checked our tickets. Yeah, right. And they were letting us on stage to stage dive. dive. There was, security would literally help you get on stage and as long as you jumped off yeah yeah so i think that was it i think through that guy we went to um we went to pantera and a few other they're always big touring acts they were never they they weren't the you know there was none of the small club shows because i didn't even know those bands really existed Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean we went to see metallica on the black album yeah um what else would we have seen um, we went to that failed alternative nation, <laughs> which was the worst day ever because we turned up super early and then I forgot my tickets. Yep. So we had to go back to my friend's mum's house all the way on the train. By the time we got back, there was massive lines that pissed down with rain. That's If if it wasn't for me, we would have got in there early, been no, nice and dry and had the best day. But because <laughs> of me, we got soaked and it was shit house. Um, um, yeah. But so was that, and was that sort of like, was that something that became like a regular thing for you coming down here to go see shows and things like that? 
Well, as regular as we could because no one, you know, we were staying at my friend's brother's house until he moved away. And then it was my, one of my other friend's parents got divorced. So she lived down here. So we go. So, and this was all before 18. So we didn't really know anyone, any people, I suppose, other than parents. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And you also don't, at that, uh, I know it was the same for me too. Like you also don't know how to like approach people and talk yeah. to me. And you don't have the ability to like stand at a bar and things well, like exactly. that. Well, exactly. It's, yeah, you, it's kind of, and without the internet, you can't be on, you know, you can't go, hey, can I come and crash at your house? Like, yeah, yeah. I can imagine that would be so much different now as a kid, like mm. m- just meeting people with the same interests. You're a kid. Everything's like awesome. You stay yeah. at someone's house and it could be a great experience. It could be a horrible experience, but... <laughs> Definitely easier than yeah, defi- yeah, it's definitely easier than having to try and find family members and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how long was it until you moved down here then? Well, so after I finished um, year 12, I actually got a... I was living the dream. I had a full-time job at Coles. Great. And... <laughs> the country dream. <laughs> the country dream. Because I was earning money. It was just about earning money. And yeah. I like, bought a guitar and it was like, this is awesome. And then... I got to a point where it's like, this is retarded. I can't really do this. Is this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Is yeah, this it? yeah. And at that stage with VCE, I think you had to apply. You had to actually apply for a uni placement to get your, I don't know, to get the results or some crap. I don't know. Sure. So I had applied for just arts courses because that's, that was easy enough. And then when they actually came in, I just decided I'm going to go to uni. Yeah. Like this is retarded but i decided hey i'm gonna to go to uni and do an arts degree had had no idea what i was going to study yeah. so I literally turned up on the day walking through the hall there and you choose what you're going to study in your arts course yeah and i'm like i'll do english because i was pretty good at english mm-hmm. and i'm looking at there was a sign that said music and i was like, i like music i'll go and do music yeah so i signed up to do music and because I hadn't actually studied it formally. I had to go and do like a, there's like a two week course on just music theory and music stuff theory like that. and being able to, being able to, you had to, to get into the course, you had to be able to sing a tritone and yeah, right, a few okay. other things. So it was pretty easy. Once you did, it I was like, oh, okay, I know what's going on. Yeah. And yeah, so I went and studied music and through that, I, it was more performance, but I was a terrible performer. So mm-hmm. I moved into the sound engineering side of it and then that sort of, how I got into it and that's where yeah the gigs and things like that started coming yeah right and so was that like was that something that you sort of naturally just had an inclination towards then from the years of you know going to shows prior to that or was that something that sort of you know you had to find through meeting people and stuff like that the sound engineering thing or well the... and, and just like going to those more local shows yeah I mean well that's yeah once I hit uni I can I remember I met this dude who I met through that initial course to get into the course, doing mm-hmm. the singing a tritone. And, yeah. <laughs> and I just thought he was this, I just thought he was the coolest dude. He was like out from somewhere from Jembrook mm-hmm. and he had this like, he had long hair and he just seemed to know all these cool bands and he could like, he had a, he could play Primus riffs and it yeah. was like, and he was a stoner and a skater and I was like, 
this guy's cool. Yeah. Um, took me to Goo for the first time. So I didn't even know these places existed. Yeah, yeah. life-changing experiences. Yeah. And he sort of, you know, I, I didn't hang out with him for long because he was quite weird. But he just through All that, that Primus got to him. Yeah, too much Primus. Um, but just through that, you know, you discover this all like, wow, it's not just these like, you know, bands play... Bands just don't play at Rod Laver Arena and things like that. There's yeah. this whole other culture. Mm-hmm. And then when I was... Because I was doing the sound engineering thing, that's where, you know, you start at the bottom. So I was mixing at the art house and places like that. And yeah, cool. you sort of get exposed to all these different gigs. And I did... I was working at a... Volunteering at a um, rehearsal space. And that's, you know, I met so many people through that. and Yeah, right. Yeah. So what were the first sort of like shows and stuff that... Stood out to you, I guess, from that more local stuff. It'd be more. I I got into the like the pop punk kind of thing. So it was bands like For Amusement Only, mm-hmm. um, and One Dollar Short and Body Jar and yeah, right, yeah. I can remember someone telling me they knew someone from Body Jar, a member of Body Jar once. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know them? Like, you know, yeah, because I always like tend to. You know, seeing someone on stage, I would just put them on a pedestal and be like, wow, look at yeah. that person. There's lights on them. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine that, what, they go home and that they have jobs and stuff? Yeah. Like, what, you know, <laughs> and they're kids not, and things. Yeah, they're not at home, like, like going to their mansion and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, their like, home isn't just another stage with heaps yeah. of lights and, yeah, exactly. and a rider. <laughs> it's like, it's was such a eye-opening experience for a kid from the country to see what being in a band and music's really like mm-hmm. like it's not like what you see in the magazines and because you're only exposed to these big bands and you see them on tv and all that sort of stuff yeah there's a whole uh, you know there's l- layers and layers and layers to that yeah and but as a kid you just assume that if you're in a band that's what you're doing yeah that's yeah. everything yeah um and so from like i guess from that sort of getting into that sort of stuff uh, you know, how did that then form the rest of your experience going to university? Like, was that something that, you know, now that you'd found that kind of thing that had taken your interest, was that sort of where you were pursuing or did you just, you know? Yeah, well, I suppose that's where the whole sound engineering thing really, I suppose, I, it, I, I suppose from that, I got a lot more direction on what I wanted to do in life. Yeah. So, because I was still at uni not really knowing what I was going to do. I was never going to be a performer and I never really wanted to. Yeah. And then, so that's where I suppose I went to the sound engineering thing. And it was also to fill credits as well going, well, if I'm going to pass this thing, I've got to like, <laughs> I've got to have subjects to study. Mm-hmm. But then once I hit the sound engineering thing and I sort of discovered this is actually a job like people get paid to do this. Yeah. Then it's going, all right, well, I know, you know, I can, I can, the motivation's there to, and the direction to go, all right, well, I'm going to be a sound engineer. Yeah. And I'm going to, you know, record bands. And I was more focused on studio stuff more than live. Yeah. Like I did li- I did do the live stuff, but my I was getting more work studio based. Yeah, cool. And so how long did you end up doing that for? I did that for maybe till I was about 25. Yeah. I think. So maybe like seven years. Yeah, wow. And I can always actually remember, I feel like there's a turning point in everyone's career and you 
you do things. And I knocked down a gig, knocked back a gig with Blue Line Medic. Mm-hmm. And maybe this means nothing, but I always thought, well, if I didn't knock that back, because they then, you know, started to get on a bit of a rise. You yeah. Know, and I thought, well, maybe I would have, you know, moved up with that band. And maybe, because one of the reasons I quit, I was just sick of working for no money and working. Yeah. It's so hard in the studio as well. You get bands that come in and we want to record an album in two days and yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So, you're really hard to produce quality work when you have those limitations of, you know, no time or a great band with a terrible drum kit or... Yeah. And, you know, this is on recording to two inch as well. So, it's not like you can just... Yeah, it's not yeah. It's not a quick erase. It's, no. There's no. a lot of work that goes into it. Not at all. So, yeah, I always feel like that Blue Line Medic could have been in a sliding door world. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a completely Things could different... be different. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I guess once deciding that you weren't going to be doing that anymore, where, was, where did your head go from there? Well, I started to... I took on a, a corporate audiovisual gig, mm-hmm. I think, as... You know, a lot of people do as a lot of people do because it, well, it's regular work and, you know, you start going, oh, you start looking at the other side going, oh, I'd like to not be freelance and have a job and all that sort of stuff. So I did that. Know what my pay is going to be every week. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And yeah, just having a schedule working, you know, so I did that for a while and I did that for like three or four years and. That was good, but again, you get to a point where it's like, well, is this it? You know, is this? Yeah. And I was working in a hotel, based in a hotel, so it was very structured. It's the same shit day in, day out. Yeah, right. Um, So I did that, and through that, I ended up working for a. um, That was that was my beer coming. Yep. If if you didn't quite get it, thanks for that podcast, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) You can smell it. Yeah. and from from the audiovisual work, I ended up working for a technology company, which is super bizarre. And this is how this is where the photography thing comes in. Yeah, right. So I met this guy when I was doing the audiovisual thing, and it was like, "Who wants to be a millionaire?" So you mm. know when they go to vote the audience. So this guy had brought in really early systems of that, okay. and he was based on the Gold Coast, and I would just was talking to him about how I hated my job, and he's like, oh, "Maybe you should come work for me." And I literally, he flew me up to the Gold Coast and then within a couple of weeks, I was working for him, but back down in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I just worked from home. It was pretty amazing, actually. Just worked from home. No one there yeah. to even know what I was doing. Didn't even have to get out of my underwear. <laughs> and and from that, I did lots and lots of traveling. So I used to set up these systems, but I was traveling around the world to do it. So wow. I, I went to New York for literally three days to set it up. To, I've... Um, we used to work for pharmaceutical companies a mm-hmm. lot and they would, you'd always get flown like business class and you'd turn up and there'd be a car waiting for you. Jeez. Stay in five-star hotels. Like I've had dinner on the Eiffel Tower. I've had dinner, like some of the dinners they put on is insane. Crazy. Yeah. So I did that for a while and that's where I got a camera and started getting interested in photography. Okay. But again, you get to a point where it's like, well, is this it? I was away a lot, missing lots of things. Um, it was really boring work. It wasn't challenging. It wasn't creative. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what am I going to... Sort of sticks you in a rut doing the same stuff. Yeah. And, and I will... And if I look at my life though, I usually get four or five years into a job and go, is this it? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and sometimes I think maybe I don't stick it out long enough. Like, mm. the, you know, the sound engineering thing, maybe if I'd stuck it out or done some other things, you know, it'd be different. But then, I don't know, I still, I don't think I'd be happy with that. Yeah. But the same thing, I think with any job, you know, just the repetition of it. Mm. And and all these jobs, they're not jobs that have sort of a ladder on them. You get to a, you know, you do the job, you get good at it, you get paid well, and then it's like, well, where do I go? Yeah, yeah. your only shift is at that level to another, a different place doing a slightly different thing, but just for different people. Like, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not, yeah. And I think creatively, if you're not doing something, I mean, I feel like, I'm a creative person. I need to be challenged creatively. Yeah. And if I'm not, I'm just going to, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not going to work out. So I guess once that, you know, that, so obviously that traveling and that sort of role gave you that initial spark for interest in photography and stuff. Yeah. And so what was, did that sort of, you know, gradually turn into like an interest or an obsession or, you know, where did it go from there? Well, I think from that, um, so that sort of reignited an interest in photography. I used to have a little camera when I was a kid and I'd take photos. So I think I always had it there, but I'd sort of forgotten about it. Mm -hmm. And then, so getting back into that, you know, there was so much time and cause traveling by myself. So I'd wander around and take photos and all that sort of stuff. And during that time as well, I started a record label with some friends to get back to sort of keep connected with the music industry and to do something creative and yeah um it was sort of at the end of the sound engineering thing and then i moved in because i sort of had a few bands so we signed uh it was a the main one was this melbourne sort of punk pop band around the same time as for amusement only called underside yeah so same sort of thing you know i did that and signed a few other bands and we're actually we actually came close to, so Boomtown Records, which turned into what we now know as Unified. Yes. So there was a point where, and it was the start of Destroy All Lines. So yep. A big time for Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> so there was a, we were going to sign. So between Boomtown Records and the label I had was called Get Up Records. We were going to. Beer Exchange. Thank you. Uh, we were going to sign this band called Fonzie. Okay. It's this punk pop band from Portugal, I think. Okay. Something bizarre. <laughs> anyway, so Boomtown Records was going to come under Get Up Records. Yep. And Destroyer Lines was doing their first tour with them. Mm-hmm. And in the end, Jaden said, no, nah, I don't want to merge my company. You guys just do your thing and I'll do my thing. Yep. Best decision he ever made. <laughs> Obviously, you know, smart guy, because right off the bat, you know, yeah. making great decisions. <laughs> um, Destroyer Alliance did the tour, and it was a total flop. Yeah. Um, I don't know why. Shit band. <laughs> hey, man, you gave him a chance. Yeah, we did. We tried. We did try. Yep. And um, so, but when I had that label, I would take photos of just for the website and things like that. Yeah, sure. So that's where... Coming from the travel photography, I'd got you know gotten back into my photography, then started mm-hmm. taking some photos for the bands for the website, and from that, that's where I started going. This is kind of cool. Like yeah, I right. can see, I can see what I want to do. I can see what I want to capture, but I don't understand why I can't capture what I'm seeing on my phone. So it was more about how do I do that properly? Yeah, and then that you know that's 
it's a lifetime's worth of work to try and do it properly. Yeah, right. And so was that something then that, like, you know, from the sounds of things, what you've, you know, said so far, I can tell that there's, like, you clearly get an interest planted in something and then you strive to develop yourself in it. Like, you're quite clearly driven in that sense. Yeah. So once photography came along, was that, you know, was that the thing that really hit that spark Obviously, it's something you've been doing for quite a while now. Yeah, well, so I suppose that then ticked a few boxes that was creative, but it also kept me in with the music industry because yeah. it's something that I always wanted to... I always wanted to work in the music industry in, in some, you know, in some form, but I up until now, up until the photography, I wasn't really sure what that was going to be. Yeah. And I dabbled in the... I'd done the sound engineering thing. I'd had to go at the label kind of thing. Yeah. And I always just wanted to hopefully, whatever I did in life, some sort of mesh, hopefully a talent with the music industry. Yeah. So with the live stuff that, you know, was creative and I was doing the, um, I was still doing that sort of technology keypaddy job. And yeah, so that was giving me a foot in the, you know, music industry because I wasn't getting paid. I was just doing the, you know, shooting for some friends and doing some media stuff where you don't get paid. And yeah. And then, in typical fashion, it got to that point where it's like, oh, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? This keypad technology job thing, you know, is, yeah. is fun and it's like heaps of travel, but it's kind of, I'm getting over it a little bit. And someone said, well, what, you know, what's your passion? And I've always struggled with that going, what do you actually like to do? Because yeah. I seem to get obsessed with something. It's like, that's what I like to do. But then outside of that, I don't actually like to do anything. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, it's all or nothing. I don't really know what I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but sometimes I feel like I don't actually know what I like to do other than whatever I'm obsessed with at the time. Yeah, that makes sense. And so at that time, it was photography, and they're like, why don't you go back and study photography? Yeah. And they're like, I'll do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I literally, I quit my job, or I went back to part-time with the technology job, mm-hmm. and I applied for university, and I literally did it the day before, because you had to put a folio in and write this, like... You know, it wasn't just apply. You had to yeah, do a folio yeah. and write an essay. And, sure. And I did it the night before it was due. Yeah. And put it in and got in. Yeah, wow. And so, what, what course did you enter into? It was RMIT uh, Bachelor of Photography or something like that. Yeah, right. I don't know. Um, but it was a real... It was a commercial course. So okay. I was going into... And at that point where I was shooting the gig stuff, it was like, this is fun, but it's not... You know, it's not a career. It's yeah. just something that I like to do. So I like photography. I'll go back and study and I'll become a photographer, whatever mm-hmm. that means. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought at that time as well, I'd do maybe architectural photography or interior photography because it was boring as shit. And I'm like, who would actually want to do this because <laughs> I actually like it? Yeah. So I'm like, well, there won't be many people doing it. Mm. So, you know, that's something I can do. Yeah. And I was terrible at it. So... <laughs> Through my, in my second year of uni, because the first year is just about, they pretty much break you down and yeah, whatever you thought you know about photography, you actually don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's really basic stuff and they build you back up. And so during that second year, one of my lecturers who I was doing the interior stuff was, was for some reason he, he must've, I was showing him some work and he saw some of my live photography and yeah. he, he said, oh, this is actually really good. He's like, your interior stuff sucks. He's like, you're really bad at it. 
But he's like, this is really good. He's like, if my advice to you would be to quit and move to America. Wow. And I'm like, all right, I'm probably not going to do that. But that's <laughs> at least, that gave me, that just sort of planted the seed going, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe I can try and, because I always thought music photography was, it's something that wasn't really taken seriously because it's yeah. just, I don't know. It, it's, I mean, I think music in general, music photography in general wasn't really taken seriously. It was just something that happened and it wasn't really part of the commercial world of photography. It's just this stuff that happens and no one really knows who's doing it or whatever. It's just happening over there. And, yeah, yeah. And so we just see these pictures somehow. Yeah. yeah. And so from then on in my course, I tried to bring that music photography into that commercial world but do it at a level where they were like, this is really good. It's not just... Oh yeah, that's just some music photography thing, and sure. yeah. So, what sort of stuff were you doing to try and bring that together then? Well, that's where I was doing. I was doing a lot of portraiture work, but I was doing it. It was it's all conceptual based stuff. So, okay. and that was just at that time as well, where in the whole alternative press emo scene thing, yeah, people wanted that. Like, it wasn't just you know it having a band just stand up against a wall or look, stand there wasn't enough anymore. People yeah. were starting to create these hyper-realistic images, almost like movie posters in a way. Yeah, sure. And, you know, there was like, there was a concept behind it and there was something going on. And so I was doing that to tick boxes at uni, but it's also something I really enjoyed doing. Mm -hmm. And then that sort of thing become popular with magazines and things. And I think it was a, right place right time kind of yeah thing. and so all of a sudden my work started getting noticed and when i was pitching it to magazines and things they're like this is really good like my folio started standing out against the other music stuff because it was just the similar yeah it's just dude standing in front of a wall yeah and, yeah and looking all cool yeah so yeah so i mean that's and that's obviously like a pretty good asset to have then as well because it you know sets you apart but that's arguably something that's quite interesting and obviously sought after by bands too because the other thing is uh, i know as someone you know who plays music and things like that the best the funniest pictures and the best pictures and the ones that get the most attention are always the ones that aren't the five of you standing in front of a white wall it's the ones that have like a reason for you to be looking at that picture of us yeah you know? like well, I think that, you know, that in the, especially in the last couple of years, it's become so important for bands that, you know, there's so much crap visually every day that you're exposed to, whether it's, you know, you're looking at, you know, if you're, you're looking at bands and things like that, or it's just general whatever. Yeah. So for a band to stand out and go, you know, for people to go, well, I'm going to click on that link and go listen to that music, that was really important. Yeah. And but I've noticed in the last couple of years it's going back the other way. Yeah. So people want to try. You know, there's like now it's almost like that. You the less you try, the better it is. It's well, maybe that's not trying, but it's gone back to bands being real. Like yeah. it's it's not that glossy. Um, you know, I don't know. We're five dudes who have an idea, or you know, goofy or whatever it is. Yeah. Or conceptual. It's gone back to really just being five people in a band yeah right and maybe that's a trend thing as well but you know, everyone just wants a shot that looks like there's been no time taken to take it at all yeah 
when to get something like that requires quite a it lot actually, of effort. Yeah, well, it's actually not as easy as you think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, like, from there, is that, you know, obviously that sort of then, you know, getting that interest from magazines and stuff, is that where it sort of snowballed then into something that, you know, you could see becoming a career for you? Yeah, I mean, once... You know, I can remember the first time I went and met up with the Rolling Stone... Um, creative director and I got a job on the day yeah and so that to me was like oh maybe I've got something here yeah right um and I always know that when I was also showing a printed folio rather than an online thing yeah sure and I think that sort of set me apart as well but it was just having that book of interesting images where people like oh okay I can see I can see what you're trying to do and a lot of it was my own creative as well mm-hmm so a magazine could come to me and this is what happens now and it sort of stresses me out big time but a lot of my work people come to me go we want to take a photo and that's it like it's (laughs) it's not i don't get a lot of creative direction it's all like yeah we need some photos taken what do you think we should do where you know what direction yeah right and i think that's one thing that still sort of sets me apart at the moment is that people can create photos you know, technically the same as I can. It's not that hard, mm-hmm. but it's a creative that you come up with that can't be replicated. Because, yeah, right. Yeah. And so, what then have been some of like your, you know, projects you felt really good about in that sense? Um, the carnival stuff's always fun. Yeah. And they're a really challenging band because they <laughs> push you quite hard as well. Like there's. Always, they're a band that you can't just go. We're going to take a photo. It's like, why? Yeah, right. Why, why? You know, what does that mean? Can we tie it back into the music? You know, it's and they and that comes from also five people who basically know each other because of being in a band. Like, there's yeah. so many different personalities and styles. They're not going to just stand around and take a good photo together. So it's got to be tied into the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was some of the early stuff and. I suppose the early carnival stuff was directed by them. They would throw some ideas out, but then I would have to make those ideas happen. Yeah, right. So the first one I can remember, uh, and Drew coming up with, saying, oh, we want to pour something like oil over our heads. Yeah. I was like, well, we can't just... And this was the day before a photo shoot. Yeah. It's like, well, we can't just... I need a bit more time. Like, we can't just pour... I can't pour oil over your heads because that's... <laughs> Yeah, it's not good for you. <laughs> it's not good for you. So I don't know if you could, um, if you've ever seen the shop, but there's a shot with them, and they're all in white t-shirts, and they're mm-hmm. covered in this like oily kind of shit. Yeah, I think and I've Drew's seen. spitting it into Kenny, and it looks like that bird, you know, regurgitation <laughs> thing because you can't <laughs> actually tell which way it's coming. It yeah, right. And so when we did that, I actually, <laughs> my poor girlfriend had to. We spent a Saturday afternoon with me coming up with these concoctions, me standing shirtless in the bath, tipping the stuff over my head and then taking a photo to see how it looked under the lighting conditions. Right. And so the concoction that I came up with in the end, and I tried things like chocolate syrup, um, baby oil. Yeah. I can tell you, baby oil takes so long to get out of your hair. (laughs) Like, I can remember remember pouring that over my head, not working... I had a shower, I went to the movies that night and my girlfriend's looking at me going, why is your hair wet? 
<laughs> oh, it's not wet. It's actually just the oil still oh, sitting in it. It's disgusting. Yeah. But I ended up coming up with this concoction of um, baby shampoo, Johnson's No More Tears. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Brilliant. And <laughs> maple syrup. Yeah, right. Now, in hindsight, in hindsight, fuck, the shampoo is the least of your worries. Like, if you've got <laughs> maple syrup in your eyes, yep. Johnson's No More Tears is not going to make air... <laughs> You've got pure sugar going exactly. into your Exactly. So I'm gonna, we were tipping that on them. And because I literally said, oh, well, I'll get the... Because I didn't even think about how much the maple syrup would sting when that gets in your eyes. I was mm. like, oh, I've got Johnson's No More Tears. It's not going to hurt when it gets in your eyes. Yeah, yeah. And we must have taken like 40 shots at the start and just could not get five people to have their eyes open all together at the same time. Yeah, right. They were like literally so... They were in pain because of the... And I had someone there with a towel and they just like, towel, towel, towel. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's just in hindsight, it's just, I should have put a lot more thought into that. But I mean, it worked and they, yeah. they were stoked with the results and the photo got a lot, you know, really good traction for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't do that now because <laughs> I'd know how much it would hurt them. Yeah. So has there been other projects that are like, that require, you know, like you said, the you have to come up with these sort of like creative aspects to it. Are there other things that have, you know, required like a lot of interesting thinking for you there? Is that something that you think is like a trademark of your work? Well, I try and, I try and when I get a band and they say, Hey, we want to take some photos. I try and get their album artwork. If it's for an album release, the music lyrics and get them to write. If there's any themes and ideas through the whole thing. So to try and link something back in, Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the photos too, when they get run, they're going to be run with media and in context to the album. So having something a little bit weird that ties back into the album is going to make sense. And it just makes a better copy for a front cover. Sure. um, And I mean, it it differs with every every band. Um, Mm. Yeah, the, the process just usually starts with me writing down words. Yeah. And, and, I basically have a scrap of paper, write down a whole heap of words and then and see if anything jumps off from, you know, that I could create an image from that. Yeah. Or colours or, you know, the artwork. Maybe there is something in the artwork that I can translate to a photo. Yeah. Yeah, it's all different for everyone. So in the world then at the moment where, like you say, that's sort of changing a, a little bit away from so much of that conceptual sort of stuff, how do you find yourself you know, working creatively within that, do you still feel that, you know, creative juices are flowing there then? Or has that led you to have to seek other um, avenues to put that through? I still try and... Oh, this beer. (laughs) Um, It'll get you. It'll get you. I still try and... Even when people go, well, we don't, you know, we still want something casual and more, you know, like true. It's just five dudes. Yeah. I still try and... You know, we can come up with something better than just standing in front of a wall. So then I still try and... I still go through that process mm-hmm. and then try and come up with something that's maybe to do with the location or the light or, you know, is it at night? Is it at day? Is it natural light? Do we... Yeah, is it yeah. more of a candid thing? So I still get to be creative in that way, but it's not... It's, it's You know, there's still so many decisions that you have to make. It's... You know, do you shoot it on film? Do you shoot it on digital? Do you, yeah. Um, you know, is it a wide shot? Is it a long shot? So, do you think <clears throat> has a lot of the stuff that you've sort of developed into 
you know, the work you've created, did you find a lot of that was learning on the job? Like, or were some of those things that were instilled at you at university, like, are they still paying off? Do you think? I mean, I'm most of it. I'll come up 90% of the shit that I come up with. Mm. I'm like, fuck, I hope this works <laughs> because it's literally like a, if I can test it, I will test it. But a lot of the times you can't test it. Yeah. You, you go into it as prepared as you can, but sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. But if that's the case, like I make sure I've got backup. So if this is not going to work, then I've got to fail. Yeah, safe. Got this um, other thing. The only really thing I learned at uni where apart from the technical side of things is pre-production. Mm-hmm. So it's all about pre-production. You, the more prepared you can be for the shoot, then the better, you know, the more likely it is it's going to turn out how you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something without uni, I was, you know, you'd go, oh, we're going to go do a shoot. All right, cool. On the day we turn up, no one's really thought about it. You go, what do you want to do? Yeah. And then we decide, you know, well, do we go here or do we go there? There's none of that planning. And I can't believe people do that that at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe it's more because of my clients. I can't reshoot it. Usually I've got them for a specific time and date. And then then that's it. And then that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't, if it doesn't work, you're kind of in trouble. Mm. Um, I mean, and maybe, actually I did... Some of the stuff I did recently with Violent Soho was, I had a rough idea, but that was more spontaneous, which I think, again, the other side, you can get some great results because things yeah. aren't planned out. You let things organically happen. Mm-hmm. You let people get drunk. Yeah. And then you <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. 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 You, it's amazing what you can do with, yeah, weed and booze. It's, ama- <laughs> it's amazing things can happen. It helps those creative juices. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, so I guess... <clears throat> You know, that that's a lot of your sort of more planned out work, but, you know, noticeably like still a huge part of the, you know, the greater mass of work that you've created is a lot of that live photography. Yeah. And I know we spoke about it on the live podcast a bit, but, you know, talking about the relationship you had with Soundwave and then, you know, developing that into the book you created, like, how was that? How did that sort of relationship first form there? With Soundwave? Yeah. And- I mean, that's one of those things where when you work in the music industry, the people that you meet, you just never know how those relationships are going to form throughout your career. So mm-hmm. Soundwave actually was through Chris O'Brien, who was the general manager of Soundwave. Yeah. I met him when he was managing for Amusement Only and I was doing some front of house stuff for them. Yeah, right. And so that was years and years before Soundwave. Yeah, right. And so you kind of, you know, you, the music industry is a small, small world. Yeah. And in Australia, it's even smaller. So you do keep in touch with those people and you mm-hmm. run into them in different various forms when you're doing things. Yeah. And so when I, when I started taking the live music photography a bit more seriously, Chris was one of the guys who I gave a call and was like, oh, is there any, you know, can you hook me up with anything? I want to go... And I shoot some of these tours that you're working on. Yeah. And so that's sort of how that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just never know how those relationships will manifest themselves. Mm. Don't burn bridges. No. <laughs> Try not to anyway. So from that there though, like obviously, you know, you started sort of working pretty consecutively on that festival then. was And was the book 
the idea for the book, did that come just from the fact that you had this enormous backlog of pictures or was that something that you'd always kind of wanted to do is have a hard, you know, like you said, you, when you would go for jobs, you'd have that hard folio, you know? Yeah. Is that sort of how that tied into that or? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to do is when I first got that phone call to do Soundwave, the first thing I knew I wanted to do was the book. Yeah. Right. So that was even before that, like even I did, I think the boys of summer tour, mm-hmm. which was destroyer lines. Yes. Um, tour that they had for a few years i can i did that one year where i think i traveled with the getaway plan yeah and my whole thing was right i'm gonna do this every year and i'm gonna create a book mm-hmm. i only did it one year so <laughs> didn't really work out then but, but the seed was planted the seed was planted and i always wanted to create i mean it was from the big day out from sophie's book mm-hmm. sophie howarth's i think how you pronounce it from her book i always wanted to create a book of something over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as, you know, he, Chris mentioned Soundwave to me, and in the end, I ended up paying my whole way around Soundwave myself. I think I mentioned this last time, but I paid... They they I quoted them on Soundwave, and they're like, oh, maybe just do Soundwave. You know, we've got no budget at all. It's the first year. Yeah. You know, blah, blah, blah. As it is with festivals first year. And I said, look, I think there's something in this. I'm... I'll pay for my own way around accommodation, transport. I did it all. Yeah. And on the premise that I'm like, well, I want to, you know, create this book. And then in um, Perth, AJ, I got called into AJ's office and he said, oh, you're the guy who's been traveling around doing the photography stuff. I'm like, yep. And he's like, send me an invoice for all your um, logistics. So that started from there. And yeah, I mean, I... I, what I what my plan was to do a book after every five years, mm-hmm. and maybe that was too much because the books are massive. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I should have done you know, but maybe I should have done three or four years. But it was still, um, yeah, I, I still just love creating. I don't know something that cap is over a long period of time. Yeah. I, I kind of feel of myself as a collector. Okay. I mean, I've always been. I love you know. It started when I got that ACDC box set. I didn't yeah, just, yeah. I don't just want one. I've like, yeah, I've got to have it all. all of them, yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of what I feel like with bands and things like that. Like when I'm shooting a band, it's like, I want everything. I want to go on tour with the band and I want to capture everything that happens with that band. So yeah. it's, yeah, it's the same. I mean, Soundwise is just a great example of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been, um, I've been, uh, punishing Violent Soho hard for going, oh, I want to shoot it all. Yeah, yeah. do this and that. And yeah, because I'd like to be able to have a back catalogue one day of, you know, all this Violent Soho stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that archive, I think, is quite important. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the other, you know, I think the coolest thing about, you know, creating something like a book too is that it it gives that thing like a physical, tangible Mm. you know way of you know now i can hold this in my hands and other people can hold it in their hands and stuff too which is something when i guess when you think about something like photography in the current day and age you know a lot of that's just being used on the internet and it can fade pretty quickly yeah i think you know that it's been documented that there's never been more photographs being taken history right now from everyone from their phones to you know their cameras all that sort of stuff but also, I think there's 
there's probably never been, and I'm just going to make up, you know, you know, percentages and shit sure. like that. But I think there's never been more. There's never been less ph- photographs in the world as well that yeah. actually exist. And people, you know, ninety percent of people. I didn't read that stat anywhere, <laughs> but I just this made is it a up. this is a two beers <laughs> in stat we've read. But you know, m- most people aren't running a, you know, backup and of all their photographs and things yeah. like that so i think so many of these music industry or sorry music photographers it's all the photos are going to disappear yeah because people you know you do it for three or four years and they find they're not making any money and it's you know it's a it's really hard when you're slogging it out and you know not really seeing any benefit from it mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you hard drives disappear you know, yeah yeah, I just think computers all photos, break. Computers break. People don't back up. Yeah, it's just all going to disappear. Yeah, and and I think now you know every now and again you'll see some um, some classic photos of someone turn up because they've been sitting in a box. You know, there's been a, a yeah, yeah. A, a, someone's discovered someone's archive of negatives. Yeah, that's not going to happen with music photography. No one's going through. Someone dies. No one's going to go. I wonder what's on this hard drive. And yeah, yeah. I just don't think. Wonder what's on this phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's going to disappear, and along with it is going to be, so you know, yeah. Yeah. So is that something that you're going to pursue? You know, ongoing then creating that sort of more physical, tangible representation of your work then as well. Yeah, I mean, I've had an idea, or I've had multiple ideas that are just. I don't know, they take time and money. Yeah. But I'd like to, you know, continually do books of just my own work. So it's mm-hmm. like, this is it. It's here. It exists. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it might happen to me one day. That it only takes... I mean, I have a pretty good backup system, but it'll only take a huge fire to, yeah. you know, lose all my backups. And then I've got a lot of it in the cloud, but it's, you know, I don't know, it's still... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a... With the amount of data and things you shoot, it's really hard. So, mm. yeah, I'd like to keep doing that. I love, I've always been a fan of the actual physical products. So, doing prints and mm. books and things like that, pe- things that people can hold. Yeah. And I think people want that. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, like, one of my, like, most prized possessions that I own is, like, you know, a mutual friend, Hartley. He took a fantastic photo of, like, my all-time favorite guitar player. And he texted me and he was like, hey, I'm doing a show. I'm going to print a bunch of these photos off. I know you really like this picture. Do you want me to print it for you? And I was like, I know I'm the only person who's (laughs) going to buy this from you. So yes, please print it for me. And it hangs, you know, famously in my bedroom now. But like, that's one of like the coolest things that I own is this big framed image of one of my idols and like i love that i have that and that a friend of mine took it and that it's an awesome picture yeah. <laughs> like it's it's rad who is it uh jimmy bauer from i hate god the guitar yeah. player and it's you know i've had the absolute pleasure of getting drunk with him and <laughs> playing guitar on the same stage as him but when i saw that hartley just sort of you know in passing by post that photo on the internet I like instantly saved it and then just, you know, so happened some years later, he asked me if I wanted it and I was like, this is, this is the thing now. I've got this thing. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I mean, I really hope people do get to print more of their work because yeah. just one day it's going to disappear. I mean, I know, I feel like when I die, 
no one's going to go through 30, 40, 50 terabytes worth of work. Yeah. No, I mean, my whole organizational system is known only to me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like it's, and yeah, the, unless you're me, you have no idea how to decipher that. Decipher it. It's, yeah. yeah. And just thinking now, I really should do something about that. <laughs> but here's yeah, the time for reflection. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think uh, hopefully people do do that more, like print yeah. more stuff and yeah, even just on your phone and things like that. Mm. It's like people take so many photos and I know most of them are total throwaway. Yeah. But then think about in another 20, 30 years when you, you've totally fucked your brain up and you can't remember any of that stuff. Those throwaway snaps are going to be like, wow, remember when we did that? Remember we did yeah, that? Yeah, it's going to be important to you. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just... Take your phone into one of those one-hour camera. I don't even call them one-hour camera places. <laughs> take to one of those booth things and just yeah. print six by fours off. Yeah. Put them in a drawer. You've got them. Got them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's pretty cool. Do you have anything you want to promote or discuss or spruik to the world? Do you have anything really? coming up that's cool? Well, I'm working on a... I can't... I can't really tell you what it is, but okay. I can. So I'm, I've been working on this project f- for two years as it is. Mm-hmm. And it's shoot. It's my baby at the moment and I'm kind of as obsessed with it. Yep. I mean, I wish I could shoot it full time, but I, I can't. Um, but I'm shooting it all with a medium format 80 megapixel camera. So a really beautiful camera. Yep. And... I'm trying to get, it's hard to say without, I'm trying to get a collection, another collection of images Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to get everyone from the biggest guy in the world to the smallest guy in the world and everyone in between. Yep. And no one's ever done it before. Okay. I know that for a fact. Yep. And everyone who I speak to about it is so blown away by it. But to get to some of these artists it's such a time consuming thing so what happens at the moment is and i've been i think i've done my fourth trip to la just recently Mm -hmm. and i shoot a few people and then they go because they say yes before i shoot them but then once they actually see me shooting it they're like wow this is really cool you got to do this person and that person and and so you get you're slowly getting this snowball effect but Mm -hmm. it's so slow and obviously, because I'm funding it myself, it's very expensive to... Yeah, to do things to, like that. To, yeah. Um, but that's something to look that's forward something to. something to look forward to and, mm. yeah, hopefully another couple of years. Awesome. But that's sort of what I'm... I feel like I'm being a bit quiet at the moment because I'm sort of focusing on that. And it's so... Sometimes when I'm shooting, I'm in the middle of shooting, I just want to get on social media and it's like, you would never fucking believe who I'm <laughs> looking at at the moment. But I can't... Um, It'll be worth it in the end. Yeah, I want to announce it as this is what I'm doing rather than going, oh, this is what I'm doing. And then by the time I actually get there and finish it, people are like, oh, I feel like you've, I know all about this. Yeah, we've heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so indescript photography, (laughs) look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you very much for coming to my house and having a chat with me. Thank you. It's great. I I love your white walls. (laughs) I'll try and change that. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, dude. Cool.